It's a joy to be here with you this morning. I just want to say I wouldn't be here if it hadn't been about 35 years ago that I truly said to God, I surrender all. No, I wasn't a drug dealer or a prostitute or something like that. I was a school teacher married to a young pastor. And I had, was walking with God, but I had a lot that he needed to come in and fill me with his spirit, cleanse me, and give me his love and power. And I want to say it's been a walk of faith and a walking in the light and a walking in the spirit since then. And it's a wonderful life to walk in the spirit of Jesus Christ. I want to thank you for welcoming the Zambian Orphan Choir a few weeks ago. They were so moved by being here, and your love was expressed to them in wonderful ways. And I want to thank you for the offering that you gave. You gave $4,000. Give yourselves a hand for that. And that $4,000 goes to work we're doing in Southern Africa right now with young people under the age of 25. As I speak, five out of eight young people under the age of 25 are HIV positive. And God is working and helping us to completely turn that around with many other people. The International Bible Society has just um, published a New Testament, uh, NIV New Testament, but with commentary throughout the entire New Testament by South African youth. In fact, it's the first Bible I've ever opened up that said, the first page said, God and sex. <laughs> And the second page said condoms, question mark. Uh, I know you're a little nervous about all of that. Uh, and it's very explicit through this. But what this Bible is about is helping people to live a pure life. Now, I love what we're talking about. It's not just abstinence from sex out of marriage, but it is living a pure life, a holy life. What would happen in this world and they are target. we in World Hope are targeting 50,000 young people this next year. This Bible is not just handed out like Gideon Bibles are handed out. It's a Bible, and if you get that Bible, you have to go through 40 lessons. That's talking about discipleship. And we believe God is going to raise up a whole new generation in Africa. In World Hope, I've committed to reach 50,000 young people this next year. The International Bible Society has a goal of reaching 100 million African youth with this. What an army of, of uh, believers and an entire revival of a continent that I believe will reach around the world. And, and you are part of this also. What could God do with all of us if we started living pure lives in this world full of love and power that you just sang? Thank you. I believe Paul was talking about that when he wrote in Romans, the 15th chapter. I always find it interesting. After some big uh, sporting event, and I must confess, I'm a Cardinals fan, and I'm probably in bad territory here. Uh, and I watched the games this week, if you can believe. And why am I a Cardinals fan? I lived in St. Louis for a while, but I also lived near Detroit for a while, and, you know, I lived in Kansas City. But you know what? My great-grandpa was a Cardinals fan. Then my grandpa was a Cardinals fan. And then my mother was a Cardinals fan. So, you know, it just passes on through the generations. But I found it interesting as I opened up, I live in Washington now, and opened up the Washington Post. No, the Redskins aren't doing very well. And, uh, the, and the uh, Nationals are even worse. Um, 
But I opened up the Washington Post, and here was all about all the wonderful things about all the players with the Cardinals. And we, I read about Wainwright, and I read about uh, Jeff Weaver, and Larusa and all of those folks, and how wonderful, blah, blah, blah. Yet when I opened up Romans, the 15th chapter, I found something interesting, something totally different. Paul, in Romans, the 15th chapter, Paul, who's educated. Paul, who's been with the great powers of the world. Paul, who comes from a, one of the most strategic uh, cities in, in Asia Minor. Uh, 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 Paul, who comes from a well-known family. Paul, 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 all wonderful things that Paul is. But you know what he says in Romans 15? He says, Therefore I glory, verse 17, Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I... And then he tells us ways in which God works. Number one, he says, what I have said and done, or another word for that is word and deed, one translation, by the power of signs and miracles, number two, and all of this through the power of the Spirit, what we just sang. None of this can happen unless the power of the Spirit moves through us. I want to take a look a minute at... The first one, he said, what Paul says, how Christ accomplishes these things through us. Yes, we need to be educated. Yes, we, it's wonderful if you, have, you came from wonderful families. Yes, we need all of those things. But ultimately, it is God takes everything that you have, everything that you are, everything that you surrender, and then it's multiplied over and over and over through the power of the Spirit. What you, I, Paul says, what I have said and done. In other words, what you talk about and how you live must be congruent. Probably one of the greatest examples of this, of word and deed, said what I have said and done, is a man in West India, Western India, the country of one billion people. I had to laugh when we were bragging about we just hit 300 million. Well, I was in India the year that they hit a billion. There was shirts all over the place that said, Come to India, one billion people can't be wrong. Gujarat is a state in western India. It is where most of the most radical Hindu sects are located. In Gujarat is a very nondescript man by the name of Samuel Justin. Samuel was a street boy, and in Bombay and, and Many years ago, some people picked him up off the street, a Christian family, and raised him. And today, Samuel's in his late 70s. Samuel has faithfully followed God. He's been a pastor. He's been a preacher. He's been an evangelist in Western India. Been very careful. One of his dreams was to have a, a school, a Christian school. And he had that dream had been his dream for 40 years. By God's grace, as World Hope came along, we were able to work with him. And help him to get that dream. And, and that school now has well over a thousand students in that school. And one day I was there visiting with him. And he said, I want you to meet some of the children I have here. There's some very special children I have here. He said, and he kind of leaned down. He said, you see, these are children of prostitutes. Now in India, that's the lowest of the low of the low caste. If any of you saw the movie Born in the Brothels, you'll know what we're talking about. And he looked at me and he had tears in his eyes and he said, these children came to us with no names. 
But he said, we've given them all names. We've given them biblical names to teach them who they are. What power. And then later, I found out that this radical Hindu sect is very angry with Samuel. And so they put a price on his head. As a, as a result of that, India, that is a secular state, assigned some secret police just to watch Samuel, to sort of care for him just in case something in public happened. Samuel did not stop. He continued on his work that he does. He doesn't hold big crusades. He doesn't do anything. He just simply lives day by day, sharing Christ, preaching, teaching, doing these kinds of things. I happened to be back in the country a couple years later, and he invited me to join him in a baptismal service. And he said, I want you to help me baptize. We're going to baptize 34 Hindu converts today. And I said, are we going to do this inside? Because I know it's, you can get in trouble when you do this outside. Oh, no, no, no. He said, we're going to do it right out there. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I guess I'm in trouble. And there was like a big horse tank right out for everybody to see. And we baptized people there. And then he came to me and he said, and I want to tell you, there are two couples that are very significant in this meeting today, this baptismal. He said, these two men are members of the secret police. I said, Samuel, are you telling me that these men who are members of the secret police are people that have been following you and because of your life, they have seen Jesus and they are willing to give up their ancestral religion, they're willing to give up their family connections, they're willing to give up everything to follow Jesus because they've seen him in you? He kind of dropped his head and said, I guess so. My friends that day at that baptismal service, I couldn't keep the tears back. And I was baptizing one of the women as she went down. She had her, her sari on and it was kind of heavy. And I could tell she was really nervous. So I just kind of splashed some, got her down, splashed some water on her face. And he saw me and he punched me. He said, no, she's got to go deeper than that. <laughs> so we went all the way down. But my friends, I thought, and that stays with me today, if someone followed me around every day, would they really see Jesus? That's what Paul is talking about, that Christ accomplishes through word and deed, through what we say and what we do. The second thing here, he says, Christ accomplishes what he wants to do through signs and wonders. Now, we all love signs and wonders. I love it when somebody's healed and bingo, they just stand right up. But you know, many times we follow signs and wonders, and if we just follow signs and wonders, it will lead us astray. You see, because it's all through the power of the Spirit. But God is doing some powerful things in this world today through signs and wonders. There are 1.3 billion Muslims in this world today, and you see many of these, we see many of these images on our screen constantly. But do you know God loves every single Muslim? <laughs> He loves the radical ones. He even loves Osama bin Laden. Do you pray for him? Recently, I was challenged about praying for the people we don't like rather than just the people we like. The politicians you don't like. What about praying for them? What would God do if we started doing that? We work in the country of Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan is a, is a country that sits right, on the, right above Iran, and, and uh, Iraq is west, and it's a Muslim country. Eight million people in the country with less than a thousand believers. It's against the law to proselytize in any way. We happen to work there. We're building schools for refugee children. We have computer schools. We're doing um, uh, English as a second language. I think some students who've been here uh, from this college have gone, the university have gone to Azerbaijan. We now have 200 believers in cell groups. And I was in one of the cell groups one night. 
And I said to one of the women that was there, I said, how did you know to come here? I mean, there's no sign, no flashing sign that says, turn left and go to the World Hope Cell Group. She said, well, I had a dream. And in that dream came this most compelling person. And I had to find out who that was. And so she said, I started asking people. And finally someone said, I think if you went to that cell group, you could find out of that meeting in that woman's house. So she did. It happened to be a professor at the university, a professor of architecture, and her husband who had a cell group there. She said, I came here, and you know who I found was in that dream? That was Jesus who I was looking for. A few months later, I left Azerbaijan. I happened to be in Europe at a conference. There I met a man who's worked as a professor at the University of Saudi Arabia teaching chemistry for some 30 years. And he began to tell me that a million Muslims are coming to Jesus every year. 75% are coming through visions and dreams. Shortly after that, I was in, in Thailand at the Luzon Conference on World Evangelization. And there I heard Paul Eshelman share that the Jesus film has not been very, has not been terribly successful in the Muslim world, but in some cases it's been amazing what's happened. And he said he was sharing it in an auditorium one night. And about 10 minutes into the film, suddenly 10 men stood up all over that, audio, that uh, auditorium that night. At the same time, they all stood up and said, that's him, he came to my room last night. And all of them had had the very same experience. Their room had been filled with light that woke them up. And there stood Jesus. Now, it's interesting that it was the same Jesus that was on the film. <laughs> but it was the power of the Spirit that made that recognition. A fascinating thing has been happening in Algeria. And if you just read the news just this last week, Algeria is becoming a new... Uh, it's been an area for uh, terrorist groups for a long time, but it's continuing to grow, and they're sending, sending more agents there to look, look after, to look at this issue. But God's moving in the country of Algeria. I wish I could say I'd prayed for Algeria. I never have prayed for Algeria. There was a couple that went, and they were there for 40 years, no converts. Their son, who some of this overlaps, their son was there. He had five converts. They were all murdered. Their daughter and husband came, and somehow God has done a miraculous thing through all this in Algeria among the Berber people, that is, the people group of St. Augustine, who uh, obviously was Christian and then about the 10th century was forced to become Islam. Among the Berber people today, there are 50,000 new believers in Jesus. It's going from Algeria on over to Morocco. Signs and wonders. Now, they, the fo folks in Algeria and Morocco are praying and begging for people to come and teach and have discipleship so people can grow. Does God work in dreams? We happen to work in, in the human trafficking area. Every year, 4 million women, children, women, men, and children are trafficked either within countries or across borders. That means they're sold just like the old slavery days. They are sold for the purposes of labor sex, and begging. You are seeing this happening. You are seeing much more writing about this. In fact, just this November, December issue of Foreign Affairs Journal is a large article about what's referred to as the modern-day slavery. And then in Time Magazine this week, it's interesting, there's a new book written for 12-year-olds uh, about the modern-day slavery. 
the trickery that takes place in getting these girls and these children in. And we happen to be working in this. And we're working in Cambodia and Sierra Leone and Liberia and getting ready to open up in Indonesia as well. It's happening in this country, you must know. Nobody knows the numbers for sure, but it's something like 20,000 to 200,000 of girls that are trafficked within this country and also brought in. The traffickers are targeting small towns where they go to the small towns and they find vulnerable young girls, particularly vulnerable young boys that seem marginalized, and then they begin to work in them and begin to bring them in. They don't just grab them off the street. They coerce them. They, 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 they use flattery to get them there. Cambodia is a place where every month 1,200 are trafficked out of the, out of the uh, provinces, the rural areas. We happen to be working in the capital city of Phnom Penh, and we have an assessment center there where they bring, <coughs> when they are rescued from the brothels, they're brought directly to our center. Now, we also work in prosecution because if we don't work on that side, if we don't work on the, the, uh, prosecution, the arrests and prosecution, it will never stop. So we're working on that as well. In fact, in our center right now, we have two young girls, eight-year-olds, that we're keeping in protective custody because of a, a pedophile from the United States that was there that they're going to have to testify against. But the last report I had, one of our, our directors emailed me and said, we just had 10 who were brought into our center between the ages of 2 and 15. One of our directors was in our office a couple weeks ago, and I said, what in the world are we doing about two-year-olds and three-year-olds? How do we rebuild, and, and how do you rebuild an inner core in these young people? She said, well, you know what? We're, we have very good, we have some British-trained psychologists that are working there with us. But one of the things that they have been doing is they have been praying for God to send dreams to these young girls. Dreams that are deep, healing dreams within them. And God has been doing that. And they said they'll get up the next morning. The house mother is so stunned when she begins to hear what this girl has dreamed the night before. You see, these are signs and wonders that God is doing. And it is through the power, all of this through the power of the Spirit. When you begin to tackle big things, you, the power of the Spirit must be the power of the, the Spirit that sustains you. Things don't happen. We like uh, visions and dreams because it's uh, quick. But you've got to have the stuff that sustains you. The last letter that John Wesley wrote before he died was a letter to the man by the name of William Wilberforce. This letter was written February 24, 1791. And William Wilberforce, as you know, was a British parliamentarian. parliamentarian. William Wilberforce was converted under the ministry of John Wesley. And William Wilberforce was the one who was finally, after many, many years and a long struggle, was finally able to see the, the uh, legislation to get rid of slavery. John Wesley wrote this letter to him and said, Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them together stronger than God? Oh, be not weary of well-doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of his might, till even American slavery, the vilest that ever saw the sun, shall vanish away before it. Reading this morning a tract written by a poor African, I was particularly struck by that circumstance 
that a man who has black skin being wronged or outraged by a white man can have no redress. It being a law in our colonies that the oath of a black against a white goes for nothing, what villainy is this? Then he who has guided you from youth up may continue to strengthen you in this and all things as the prayer of, dear sir, your affectionate servant, John Wesley. The act against slavery was, was um, 200 years ago in 1807. There's been a renewed interest in the life of William Wilberforce and also the life of John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, who was a slave trader, and God transformed him. So much so that secular movie industries have now the people who did the movie on Ray Charles, people who did the movie on Chronicles of Narnia, are now doing a movie that is to come out in February, entitled movie Amazing Grace. The folks that are doing this movie happened to be in my office last week because we're also looking at the, at the comparison between the modern-day slavery and that slavery. God is still calling women and men to change a nation, to change a world. He's calling you, as he said, blessed are the peacemakers. He's calling you to the 1.1 billion people who have never heard Jesus' name. He's calling you to the 14 million AIDS orphans that are in this world today. He's calling you to reverse the trend of 8,000 people dying every day of HIV AIDS. He's calling you to reverse racism. He's calling you to call people to live in unity. He's calling you to love those that are our enemies. This is our God today. Lord, you have heard our prayer. You've heard our gift to you. Thank you for what you're going to do through us, through the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.